In this episode of Reliterated, we meet a brilliant boy named Ender Wigan. He was basically bred to be humanity's best bet against an alien invasion. But he has to best bullies and his belligerent big brother before being brought to battle school to bone up on battling and beating the buggers. Behold, the beginning of the book, Ender's Game, on Reliterated, the best bunch of bros bantering about books to be beheld before bedtime. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020s hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. You can interact with us and enjoy all kinds of bonus content by searching Reliterated on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, and Facebook. Or you can ask us questions, suggest future episodes, or tell us what we've missed by sending us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. And my name is Andy, and with me are my co-hosts... Harold. And Josh. It is good to hear you guys again. Uh, Before we get to uh, this week's book, I have a new segment I want to introduce called Profound Ignorance. This is going to be a segment where I acknowledge a fuck-up that I made in our last episode. There was a part in last episode where Harold was started to hum uh, Cocaine by Eric Clapton, and I mistook it for a different song. Uh, some of you music buffs out there may have noticed that I mistook it for the wrong song. I thought it was a riff from Cream's Sunshine of Your Love, but I misnamed it as uh, Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Which is way different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Smoke on the Water is way different. I mean, it's a... The fuck up you made isn't terrible. Because Cream... Wasn't Eric Clapton in Cream? Eric Clapton was, yes, in Cream. I know he played guitar for him. I don't know if he's also the the lead singer or whatever, but uh, yeah, he, he he was a member of cream but we're talking about da 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 down versus da 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 and then smoke on the water is completely different that's very true yeah yeah and and he knows this now because the other day we were talking and i started doing all the different sounds in front of him because we make sound music out of our mouths uh even when we're in person (laughs) and not recording yeah and we are practicing for that scat battle with marky mark and matty ice (laughs) (laughs) oh hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh we're gonna get him we're gonna get him we're still waiting for a response on on that challenge guys I think they got an episode coming out pretty soon. Hopefully, they'll uh, acknowledge <laughs> this challenge and not slink away from us. Yeah. <laughs> Don't back down. Okay. So, that business out of the way, let's get to this week's topic, and that is going to be the sci-fi classic book, Ender's Game. Gerald's Game, right? Gerald, Gerald's, <laughs> <laughs> Gerald's Contest. No, Gerald's Gerald's Game by Stephen King. That's, that's what I've been reading. Steve, Gerald's Game by Stephen King. Oh, shoot. 
we're going to have to do a, an episode on a whole different book. Did you guys read Ender's Game? <laughs> Shit. I read it. <laughs> Gerald's Game isn't even sci-fi. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I was like, what the fuck did we pick Gerald's Game for? This is weird. Is it even for kids? <laughs> no, it's a Stephen King book. <laughs> I read Ender's Game. He read Ender's Game. You you listeners are so gullible. Yep. I gotcha. <laughs> I got everyone he is. <laughs> this book was written by Orson Scott Card. It was originally published uh in an, like a novelette form in nineteen seventy seven. Kinda I think I believe like in installments and in, like uh sci fi publications and then um updated uh, added to and uh, republished in 1985 as a self-contained novel. Yes, and, and Orson Scott Card is a card, I might say, actually. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. He's a cut-up. He, yeah, he's yeah. not <laughs> a Roald Dahl piece of shit, but he's definitely a real, real piece of work, this guy. I mean, he holds a viewpoint that is way off way off base and in his reasons for it are clearly his faith his mormon upbringing yeah yep yep clearly that one of them utah mormons the family values people he makes some pretty bold statements uh i mean i'd actually like to to go with one where um he he said that or suggested that uh, heterosexuals should work to overthrow a government that has marriage equality. I mean, and this is quite quite a quote, but he basically says that, you know, if this is a place where we force our kids to go to school and teach them that cohabitation is as good as marriage and that motherhood doesn't require a husband or a father or which which that even gets into single mothers. I mean, that's not even just talk about homosexuality but he is staunchly against uh homosexual marriage and he tries to play it play it off as just being that it's not marriage you know whatever uh he says at one point that uh gay marriages will strike a death blow against straight people's unions (laughs) um (laughs) and uh yeah he he basically says, "Oh, it can't be the same as what a man and a wife have." I, he just got that that wild like gay marriage, blah blah blah. Doesn't you know whatever, man. <laughs> well, I don't know about your marriage, but my marriage is over, and it's clearly because of of the gays being able to get married to each other. Obviously, it just eroded the foundation. Obviously, no, and I mean he makes he makes some pretty crazy statements. I mean, he supported a marriage ban in North Carolina. Um, he he says that marriage equality is not about marriage, but rather about giving the left the power to force anti-religious values on our children. And added, once they legalize gay marriage, it will be the bludgeon they use to make sure that it becomes illegal to teach traditional values in schools. You know, let me tell you something. I'm going to I'm going to come right out and say this. Go for it. Thirty seven years I've been alive. I am so sick and fucking tired of religious people shoving their religion down my throat and then turning around and saying, don't shove your non-religiousness down my throat when I didn't even start the fucking conversation. (laughs) You know, I mean, preach, shut the fuck up. Really? (laughs) Yeah. 
I have never been religious, not a single point in my life, right? And constantly, constantly, I've had people tell me that, oh, well, you know, oh, you might be a good person, but if you don't believe what I believe, you know, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Like, I'm like, I'm scared of it. I don't believe in what you believe. I don't believe in hell. Okay. So like, (laughs) but they're constantly saying stuff like that, right? I have never, well, I started at some point in my life, but I I had never up into a certain point in my life, like gone at somebody and been like, oh, well, I can't believe you believe that. And then I, I ended up being that way. Josh could tell you there was a time I was militant about it almost because it was oh, just quite <laughs> it was annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Some person said they needed help one time and handed me a card that wanted me to, like, go to Jesus. And I threw it right back at him. My point <laughs> is this. No one that doesn't believe in your thing wants to hear you fucking preach to them about it. It's annoying. This literally says that once they legalize gay marriages, it will be the bludgeon they use to make sure that it becomes illegal to teach traditional values in schools. What? Whose values? Your values? Do those values have to be that they also carry across around and believe in it? Shut up. Like, oh, it's annoying. It's so annoying. I am tired of it. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. I don't care if someone's religious. If you're religious, you want to believe in that. That's fine. You you wholeheartedly believe in it. That's great. But don't suggest that there's something wrong with someone who doesn't believe what you believe. Because trust me, I think there's something wrong with someone who believes in a magic fairy that controls everything but doesn't control everything but has a plan but doesn't know that the plan's going to go that way because every come on you know right and don't believe that what you believe it it is the de facto law of the land that this is the way america has to be a christian nation uh and with your particular religion at the center of it with who deigns to allow all the other people to exist as long as they don't try to imitate their institutions like marriage and and whatnot right it's like it like it's nonsense like like it exclusively belongs to them right like patriotism is (laughs) (laughs) patriotism is exclusively a christian notion or vice versa right come on y'all jesus was white and was an american and was a republican and Fuck all them libtards. Because Jesus, Jesus was a was, socialist. Oh, yeah. Jesus was a hippie. He was a homeless hippie. I used to be religious. And you know, th- that's what I saw at the core of the practice of religion. And that's why I left uh, the church. That's why I left being religious. That's why I stopped calling myself a Christian. Is because of just the way that most people, not not all Christians, clearly, I mean, no one description of a person is like a monolith and they all no. act like this. There are a lot of Christians out there who do not believe in that stuff. But at at its very core of the practice, I see the... Um, the will to establish a dominion, a hegemony, a dominance of our culture is the culture. Right. It, it like it will one day rule the world. Right. And we must always be working to bring people into the fold because we are what's right. We are the truth. <laughs> well, and 
To put it plainly, in my entire life and always being willing to have that conversation with people, right, there's only one person I've encountered. It's one of my favorite people. I'm not going to call him out on the show, but there's only one person I've encountered who I could have an honest and real conversation back and forth without, you know, we both were like, hey, you know, what you believe is, you know. I think it's wrong. You know what I mean? But we were able to have an honest conversation back and forth that didn't include like threats of anything, you know, like, oh, God, you know, I mean, I don't have anything to threaten. (laughs) I can tell you this right now. Dying is shut off. Just nothing. okay? and that scares people. And I think everybody kind of knows that. Because they were born at one time and they know that for the thousands and millions and billions of years before they experienced absolutely nothing. But it's hard to put into words and it scares people. That doesn't scare me. It actually is like whatever. It's not a big deal. I think that that's the main reason for it. That scares the shit out of people. They made a fairy tale for themselves and it helps. Great. That's my feeling. But I also am not going to walk around trying to force it on people or telling homosexual people that they can't get married or telling somebody that they can't change their gender. We get one life. It's yours. We, you're the same people that will preach this stuff, that will shove it in your face, talk all about freedom all day long. They lose their minds if someone suggests something about freedom or, or says anything like, oh, something's wrong in America. They're like, oh, you don't like freedom? Oh, you're a communist? You know, I, I mean, miss my freedoms. Oh, freedom, freedom. <laughs> you can have freedom yeah. as long as you believe exactly what I believe. <laughs> Like, like, seriously. It's not freedom you're after. It's being (laughs) on top. Yeah. It's having your way be the way. So, (sighs) yeah, to avoid, I could talk about this for six and a half (laughs) hours and not be done. I was going to say, is this our new segment? Uh, Did Harold finally get in his uh, Don't Get Harold Started? Don't Get (laughs) get Harold Started. started. So, this this has been Don't Get Harold Started, our newest segment. (laughs) Don't get Harold started. Once you start him up, once you start him up, he never stops. We got two new segments in this episode. Awesome. I apologize. It's just some sound bites. It's going to be great. Right. I apologize. It's just something that has bothered me for so long. And. And it just seems to be something that this guy says gay rights is a collective delusion. I think that people like him belong to a collective delusion where he thinks that everybody thinks exactly the same way he does. And that's not the case. What makes America great is that we don't all think the same thing and we can still work together through that. That's what makes us great. And hopefully someday it will spread across the world and we can make the whole earth great because if anything has been taught to us by the technology that we've gained, this book is all about the crazy technologies they have. And it's still just used as a means of war and fighting and and conquering. Right. (laughs) Right. But there is a, there is a unification of, of this world, which we'll, which we'll get into. But But even in the unification, it's still, it's still divided in ways. You know, if you don't Mm -hmm. comply, you know, the the Mm non-compliance states and stuff. And that does come into it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So so I think that if technology has taught us anything, especially in the last 20 or 30 years, is that the Earth is not as big as we thought it was. And we've got a whole universe out there surrounding us and everybody knows it now. Well, most people know it. Some people think the Earth is flat and (laughs) they're crazy. But most people know that the world is small. Realistically, it seems big to us relatively, but it is small. I can talk to somebody on the other side of the world right now so hopefully someday yeah humanity will come together in a star trek way star trek is probably one of my favorites <laughs> the whole world works together and yeah anyhow for humanity's sake forgot Ugh. right we're still we're still working on it oh for sure uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of shit gets caused when technology advances and people who had no idea of each other's existence are able to interact with each other and see vast differences right away. And that's vast differences, not vast deferences. <laughs> vast differences. Weirdos. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, many different people coming together. E pluribus unum of many, one. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I love y'all. We can just all talk about all the regular other things that we have in common and stuff and not try to cram each other's beliefs down each other's throats. There. <laughs> right. <laughs> An Orson Scott card is a homophobe, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Right. Probably closeted. But anyways. <laughs> Possibly. That isn't always the case, but it is very... Now. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> in spite of all this... He's given us a pretty damn good book, guys. Ender's Game is a pretty good book. It's engaging and and fun to read and uh, yeah. I devoured it. Yeah, he did. I know you guys aren't the way through it, but I I read it in the span of- and I aren't done with it yet, yeah. Three, three, four days? I couldn't put it down. <laughs> do you still have a job? Are you okay? I right. do. It, this, you know, I read during my my lunch breaks and- yeah. This is our thickest home. book yet. It, it is. Was. You know, the the reason it's so thick, though, is there's a lot of filler in this book. <laughs> I know, right? All it's this, just... All this wood pulp. Right. <laughs> just pressed into many, many, many thin sheets of filler. Like, I figured that he was just going to, like, introduce Ender, and then uh, Ender was going to win. <laughs> he wins the game, guys. Yeah, but there's, like, 200 pages between that. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is just like shut the fuck up. You I'm guys. like you. I haven't said this since the second episode. What episode but, are we on? And you guys fucking bring it up every goddamn time. Josh, fuck. we've known each other for 20 years. Book, it doesn't have a lot of filler. There's a lot. Of, like most of this is pretty much okay. needed. It's it really thick isn't because it's got a lot of story. Yeah, it no, it, it is a good book. It's a good book, and it doesn't have a lot of filler. There's not wasted words for the most part but i i want to say i've known you for 20 years and there are things i haven't let go of since we were <laughs> 19 <laughs> and you say i'm stubborn dick it's not stubborn <laughs> i just like to pick on you about things that <laughs> it's because you have yeah. no one else to pick on i get no, it I've, I've got other people i've got two kids i pick on them all the time and buddy smaller than me. <laughs> All right. So let's set the scene of this book. It takes place in a moderately distant future, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They play with the time a little bit because they don't give yeah. you an exact time. They don't give an exact year, but we know from details in the book that uh, there has been an alien race that has invaded Earth and uh, we were not ready for them, but we managed to fight them back. 
And uh, ever since then, humanity has been preparing for uh, another attack from this alien race that they call buggers. Or at least the way they sell it is that they're preparing for another attack. Right. Another attack on Earth. So to prepare for these this imminent attack, they are basically recruiting children to train them from when they're very small children all the way up to when they become adults to be ready for this war, to be commanders for this war. Mm-hmm. There's something confusing about this uh, this world building too, that um, you know they're they're preparing for this attack. But th- there seems to be a limit on uh, on how many children uh, people are allowed to have. Like, wouldn't you think you would be encouraging um, population growth for you know f- cannon fodder? <laughs> but c- clearly, they're not looking for cannon fodder necessarily. They're looking for what what they learned from the f- previous attack was that it didn't really matter how many people they threw at the enemy if they weren't able to outthink the enemy. And yeah, I mean, in this case, they're trying to specifically raise these kids to, I mean, from, yeah, from like five, six years old, they're trying to turn them into uh, soldiers, which which is wild because then you would think that their entire life. Yeah, they're trying to turn them into tactical geniuses or trying to figure out where their uh, their next master tactician is going to come from. Right. And enter a young man named Andrew Wigan. And it's cool how they start each chapter. Each chapter starts with, uh, in the first one, they don't really tell you who who it is that's speaking back and forth. But these uh, these two guys are talking back and forth. And they have these monitors in the kids up until a certain age. They leave this monitor in their necks. They, they can see through their eyes. They can hear through their ears. They can tell what kind of emotions they're feeling. They can tell if they experience pain. Um, but yeah, it starts with, I've watched through his eyes. I've listened through his ears. And I tell you, he's the one. Or at least as he's, he's as close as we're going to get. And uh, his brother was... His older brother was also very promising, but he had reasons that he couldn't go. He had personality problems that made it impossible for him to be a valid commander. His sister was also supposedly promising, but it kind of worked out that uh, Ender, who is a third, he's the third child in the family, which is what we're getting at. People are only allowed to have two kids or at least So they can have more than two kids, but if they have a third or fourth kid, in most cases, not this case, because they want the government wanted them to have a third kid. But in most cases, any kid past the first two cannot go to public school, does not get health care. It seems like Uh, the food rations are probably lower, like they don't give them to the kid. So the, the world economy will not support it. Yeah. And on top of that, they become like social outcasts. Yep. Yeah, the whole family does. Because third is like a slur. Yep. They call uh, Andrew, who goes by Ender, because that's the name that his sister called him when he, when uh, she was young, and or they were both young. But he goes by Ender, the the titular character. But uh, the the other kids uh, make fun of him, calling him a third because he's the third kid in his family. I relate to that. I'm a third as well. Ooh, you dirty third. I didn't know that. At one point, (laughs) they call him a turd, and uh, I've heard that as well. (laughs) I've been called Harold the turd. (laughs) 
<laughs> so far, the, this book has the like mo- the most raw language we've in, we've encountered in uh, in young adult fiction. Oh, for sure. Everything else has been really innocent, and uh, they're, they're not out and out swearing and shit, but <laughs> they're they talk about turds and farts, and there there's violence, and there's there's all the good stuff. Not really any sex. I mean, they're kids. Yeah, they're <laughs> but, kids. <laughs> it doesn't go that raw. Come on. Everybody knows that violence is totally okay for kids. <laughs> totally. Especially these kids. Holy shit. So the book starts in on the day that Ender is getting his monitor removed. And it's kind of like, as far as anyone knows or seems to know, when a monitor gets taken out, it means that you've washed out and that the the military does not want you now. So they tell him it's not going to hurt. And he he says right off the get, this is how you start seeing right, out, right away that Ender's really smart. And he has a tactical mind, and so he knows how to th- how to see past what someone's saying. So they say it's not going to hurt, and he's like, yeah, them saying that means it definitely is going to hurt, but at least I know what to expect now. And then he says, sometimes lies are more dependable than the truth. And when they take it out, it isn't a nice experience for him. <laughs> it does not go according to plan. No, his whole body kind of stiffens up. He says he, feel, he feels a pang from his neck down to his tailbone or his groin and uh he can't talk right at first they have to give him a shot and then the doctor and the nurse are going back and forth about how they could have shut him off forever they could have killed him basically or at least shut his brain down he came close to yeah making him brain dead yep and he's kind of excited about this because his older brother peter is kind of a psycho And he's thinking at first, like, hey, now that I don't have a monitor, now Peter won't hate me and it'll be good now. But at the same time, he also kept his monitor a year longer than Peter did. Peter had his removed when he was five and Ender is six. So Peter kind of hates him for the fact that he's doing better than he did. I feel like Peter is going to find any reason he can to uh, to make Ender's life more difficult yeah, he's a, a straight of, up dick. Bit of a bit of a psycho. Yeah, he's not a good older brother. Right, and it's even like he says at one point he goes, "No, we're not friends, not enemies. We're brothers. We can live in the same house and yada yada." He says all this and I'm like, "I don't know, man. I mean, like I didn't like try to kill my brother. We got in fights and we wrestled, but this guy straight up like threatens to murder Ender and his sister." Yeah. And he goes on a long, detailed explanation of how he plans to murder them at some point. (laughs) (sighs) This uh, psychopath just keeps fantasizing about killing them. Yep. Whereas Ender, he just kind of daydreams about other things. Because he goes back to class after after he gets the monitor taken out. But he's not really, he doesn't really pay attention in class because he already knows what the teacher's teaching. He's very smart, smart kid. So they're going on and on about arithmetic and things like that. And he's drawing these amazing maps on his, um, these cool desk displays that they have and turning them into 3D models. And if I had a desk like this and I could draw 3D models, I'd draw some boobs. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what we did with the calculator we could write boobs yeah. with the calculator yeah. so that's what we did because i'm 12 
58008. Turn it upside down. Yo. <laughs> Boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it say somewhere that uh, like Ender's uh, sister, Valentine, taught him arithmetic <laughs> when he was three? When he yeah. was three. Arithmetic. Yeah. Basi- basically, Valentine everything he needs to know about when he was math. Three. <laughs> Just learn. Yep. Learn at th- age three. These kids are like stupid smart, man. Hey, not just stupid smart, but physically able as well. For uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on in this future. They must have. They must be forced to eat Wheaties or something, because <laughs> they are. They're extremely intelligent, and they seem to be extremely physically able as well. Beyond anything, you know. I mean, they're essentially adults, right? Like fully developed mental capacity. I mean, I can tell you right now that if Ender, like, I feel like if Ender was coming at me, I could definitely knock him out because he's only six. <laughs> you have you have mentioned several times how you'd be able to beat up a child. <laughs> you could only do it once. After that, yeah. he will know all your moves. Oh, he would. Then you're right. <laughs> He's basically Taskmaster meets Charles Wallace. Uh-huh. Wait, is, is Charles Wallace? Are we talking about Charles Wallace or what has Charles Wallace? <laughs> no, we're definitely talking about Charles Wallace. Okay. There but is no it. Is Charles it Wallace Charles or Charles or Wallace? But <laughs> it is Charles Wallace. All right, okay. we're talking. We're talking about Charles Wallace controlling Charles Wallace, speaking as Charles Wallace. Hosting 60 Minutes, Charles Wallace. I don't know okay. if that's the name of a 60 Minutes host, but... That's Barbara Walters. Not, it, <laughs> there's, more than, there's, there's several hosts of 60 Minutes. Nope, Barbara Walters. She's the only one that <laughs> only does one. it. She's an immortal. Anyways, <laughs> we're, we're talking about Charles Wallace himself. I thought we were talking about Ender. Yeah, I thought this was about Ender. Charles Wallace Ender, yes. Did Ender get taken over by it? Is Ender is is Ender in control of himself? No. Is Ender Ender? <sighs> oh we'll gosh. find out. And Ender's as Ender. As we get farther into this into the story. Anyways, two peas in the pod. They're they're like two peas in a the pod. They're, okay. They seem to be of the same kind of wavelength, similar wavelengths. These desks are really cool. Like these desks seem like they're a mix between a computer, tablet, 3D holograph model maker. I, mm-hmm. I think they're really cool because they like they talk about how they put them in their lap. So they're not exactly sitting at a desk. Um, right. But yeah, I keep I keep imagining like an oversized tablet. Yeah, that's what I keep seeing, too. That can yeah. do holographic imaging. Um, like right here, he says everyone signed off their desks. Uh, or hurriedly typed in reminders to themselves. Some were dumping lessons or data into their computers at home. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, and he, he here he talks about having a child-sized keyboard and wonders what it would feel like to have hands as large as grown-ups and how awkward it must feel, even though they have bigger keyboards. And we didn't have child-sized keyboards when I was in school, but I mean, it was 1984, and Orson Scott Card is a homophobe, so I could see how he might think that <laughs> kids would need smaller keyboards. But class is over, so the teacher reminds him that he, he needs to go or you'll miss the bus. So he got up. He's got this kid, Stilson, that's been, yeah. been pestering him in class and making fun of him for getting his monitor out. For being a third. For being this, a is third. When, this is when you do see th- their age. Hey, third. Hey, turd. Called him a turd. Uh, <laughs> Bugger lover. Yep. What else? Uh, turd face. Like that one. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of turd. A lot of turd references for, yep. for these people. Yep. 
and Ender kind of like he knows that this kid's gonna fuck with him and he this kid has a gang of kids with him basically and and Ender's kind of playing it cool like hey you just gonna let me through come on and they're all like oh we'll let your arm through then we'll let your butt through maybe a piece of your knee and they're all kind of laughing and teasing him and uh now they have the ability to attack him because his monitor is out. Before they couldn't yep. touch him because they could tell if something if somebody was messing with him. So now they can finally, you know, put some hurt into him. And we kind of see Ender's ability to learn really quickly what a person is going to do and figure out how to outsmart them on the next move. And so Stilson like pushes him with one of his hands and uh, Ender decides that he's he's not going to take this. And so he plans that the next time uh, Stilson goes to push him, he's going to grab him. So uh, Ender grabs him and he ends up uh, losing his hand, uh, the, or, or Stilson's hand. He lets go of Stilson's hand, not nobody, losing his nobody hand. Nobody loses yeah. a hand. <laughs> yeah, nobody loses a hand. Uh, but he, he loses the grip on the hand. And then he, like, front kicks Stilson right in the chest and drops him on the ground. And at this point, he makes a decision as he sees the other kids are all standing around. He He's like, I have to win this fight and all the fights that will come after. And so he goes and he just starts like slowly walking around and he kicks Stilson in the stomach, kicks him in the groin and then he kicks him in the face to make sure that he's done for and that all the other kids are like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because they were going to they were ganging up on him. And so right. Ender tried to stop the fight before it even started. He, he said he laughed. You mean it takes this many of you to fight one third and then... They, you know, we're, we're people, not thirds, turd face. You're about as strong as a fart. And that's when he kicked high and hard, catching Stilson square in the breastbone. He dropped. Yeah, dude, if you kick somebody right square in the chest, oh, yeah, that's going to, if nothing else, that'll take the wind out of you. And I can definitely say that, at least with kids, I don't necessarily think it happens this way with adults. But uh, with kids, for sure, if... If a bunch of kids were are picking on you, not not me as an adult, I don't actually fight kids. But when I was a kid, if a bunch of kids are picking on you, if you hit one of them hard enough that they get really hurt, the other ones all of a sudden don't want to fight anymore. It's funny. So I, this definitely works. Ender's little game here that he plays. I see what you did there. Oh, I did it. <laughs> this is like a this is like a fucking prison mentality. Like I have to take out the big one and let him know that I'm not gonna be messed around with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I don't know that that this, works in prison for real. I mean, people say that, but I doubt that actually works in prison. <laughs> but it, <laughs> in, in the in this aspect, like with kids, it definitely probably works because kids don't realize about getting hurt until they see someone get hurt. And they're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, this this sets up the situation. They were all wondering if he was dead. Ender, however, was trying to figure out a way to forestall vengeance to keep them from taking him in a pack tomorrow. I have to win mm-hmm. this now and for all time or I'll fight it every day and it will get worse and worse. So, yeah, he was he was finding a solution to the problem that he saw, the future problem. Right. And this was the immediate solution was to, yeah, win- you find the biggest guy and you beat the fuck out of him. Win all the fights that are to come. You win them right now so you don't have to fight them later. That was his goal. 
But even afterwards, he went down a corridor waiting for the bus and he cried because it wasn't something he wanted to do. He overall, Ender's a sweet kid, a nice kid, and people were picking on. I mean, these bullies were picking on him and he just wanted to go through. And the reality is, is had he just let them, they probably would have hurt him just as bad or worse. And they would have kept coming back and doing the same thing over and over again. Yep. So this was the way to minimize that happening, minimize his pain, minimize any like future occurrences of this happening. Kind of a preemptive strike. Yep. Shock and awe. And then he gives he gives the warning. You might be having some idea of ganging up on me. You could probably beat me up pretty bad. But just remember what I do to people who try to hurt me. From then on, you'd be wondering when I'd get you and how bad it would be. He kicks Stilson in the face. Yeah. He's still fucking this kid up. <laughs> Finish him. And he says, it wouldn't be this bad. It would be worse. Yeah, dude. Right. Ender, don't fuck around. Now, mind you, again, again. This is a six-year-old. So, I mean, that's that's what I kept having to, like, play in my head. Like, man, this is just a little six. Yeah. I, I, you very early have to let go of the fact that these are six-year-olds. Right, because <laughs> Bruce is seven. And Ender is small for a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And my son Xander is seven. Yeah. I cannot fathom either of those kids doing this shit. No, not at all. So, I mean, that's that's crazy. And and like I said, yeah, they they explain that Ender's small for his age. And, you know, Bruce isn't the biggest kid. He's he's just below average, I would say, in size. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine him being anything like this, you know, <laughs> but. Uh, but then again, Bruce is a very sweet boy. So Bruce is too sweet. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's just no, nice. So sweet and naive. <laughs> but tactically speaking, eh. No, not yeah. very tactical. <laughs> not very tactical at all. Safe mind though. Safe mind. He's he, he, when he wants something and he doesn't want me to know, he can he can surprise me sometimes. <laughs> I will say that he surprised me a few times. But uh, yeah, so I like how they start each chapter with these conversations between mm-hmm. the military heads. I believe this kind of this probably inspired like the very beginning of the first Mass Effect game, where like they, there's a, it's a conversation between two high ups and the military brass. Hey, is this the guy? Is this the, this is the one we want? Are you sure? Are you sure that uh, we can trust him with the the fate of humanity? He's our best shot of what we got. And that's kind of stuff. That's what it reminds me of. I think that it's I've actually seen that happen in in other games and media and movies as well, too. Um, I mean, kind of like with Wrinkle in Time, a lot of stuff from Ender's game. I mean, you could the way they describe the ships and everything, you could open up. 10 different sci-fi movies about space travel and spaceships and find similarities with with some of this stuff. So, I mean, I imagine between, you know, Stanley Kubrick with 2001 and, and stuff like this, uh, they probably inspired a lot of people. I mean, this is a movie also. They made it. Right, there's a movie. a movie as well. Have you ever seen yeah. Soldier with Kurt Russell? Yes. No. Okay. So it kind of reminds <laughs> me of that, too. That movie's awesome because of how much he got paid per word. It's insane. Yeah, he had. Wasn't it like oh, he only said seventy five words in the whole movie? 
It was something crazy <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, I believe I'll it was seventy-five you, words. Or you talk about it. Well, you don't you don't hire action stars to to say words. Yeah, but we're talking about Kurt Russell. He's not <laughs> wholly an action hero star. Come on, he was in Tango and Cash. <laughs> right, that is true. Uh, in the second chapter, when they start out talking about him, though, they're they're still monitoring him. Uh, clearly, they have probably CCTV and all kinds of techno gadgets, future techno gadgets to be able to watch these kids. But they're they're following him and they see him beat this kid up and they don't know that he continued the fight just to win all the other fights yet. But they know that, you know, he beat the living crap out of that kid. And they compare him to someone named Mazer Rackham. And uh, that's an awesome They talk name. about him later. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> Mazer. Um, but they are interested to see what he's going to do when he gets home and runs into his brother. Because, again, they monitored his brother for a time and they got rid of him because he's a psycho. Because they knew that he wouldn't be someone that they could trust to do the right thing at the end of the day. He would just become a crazed maniac. Especially if given enough power. Oh, update. Kurt Russell says 104 words <laughs> in Soldier. 104 <laughs> words. Yeah. In the movie Soldier. It's a fun movie. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we meet Valentine first when he gets home. And Valentine is his sister. And Valentine and Ender have, or they're really close with each other. They love each other very much. Uh, she even apologizes to him. Like, I'm sorry, Ender, when he comes home and she sees the bandaid on his neck. And Ender says, you know, he's glad it's gone. And he has a strange relationship with this whole thing. He like he doesn't want it, but he does want it. He doesn't want to become a military mind, but he does want it. He's torn. And I would think you might be if you were six years old and being given (laughs) these lifelong adult decisions to make. (laughs) Well, not only that, I feel like the monitor was protection for him. Right, someone's watching if Peter does anything to him. And now that the protection's gone, he doesn't know what he's going to do. But we already know what he's going to do. He's going to fuck people up. They describe Peter as having dark, thick, tousled hair and a face that could have belonged to Alexander the Great. So his brother is, like, cool and handsome and strong and a bunch of things that Ender really isn't, but he is missing the important things that Ender has. He's he's smart as well, but he's not he has no empathy is the way I see it with as compared to Ender. That's one of the things they like about him is he's empathetic. He cares about other people, which means he cares about the human race. So Peter discovers that uh, that Ender doesn't have his monitor anymore. And instead of being happy for him or, or or thinking that, you know, hey, now we're the same man, I I relate to you. No, he's a total super dick about it. <laughs> he's jealous that he got to keep the monitor until he was six. When they yep. took it from him when he was taken from Peter when he was five. Got a... Uh, Got kind of upset that uh, Ender almost made it to the stage of being taken. He immediately suggests that they play buggers versus astronauts, which is the buggers are the alien race that came and attacked 
Earth. It's the future, the future version of Cowboys versus Indians. Right. And uh, he says Ender has to be the bugger. And Ender puts on a mask, which he can barely see out of. So it's like the game is rigged against the bugger right away. And not only that, he Ender says that here the buggers couldn't give up like they did in the real war. Here they, you know, he had to just keep playing until Peter got sick of it, basically. Right. right. And also he he has the perspective to to realize that uh, he's at a disadvantage because like buggers don't wear masks when they fight. They can they can see and wearing that mask Ender can't really see to defend himself. So he's at a in a very disadvantageous situation here. This is so like I would get like a foot, but he says he says to him, don't see too well, do you, bugger, said Peter. Ender began to take off the mask. Peter put his toe against Ender's groin. His toe? (laughs) (laughs) Don't take off the mask, Peter said. Ender pulled the mask down into place, took his hands away. So then uh, Peter presses his foot down and then he ends up putting his knee like right I would say at the sternum is what it seemed like to me and started pushing really hard down on it and almost like it was on the breastbone. Yeah. And he was telling him then that's when Peter says he's like, I could kill you like this. Just press and press until you're dead. And I could say I didn't know it would hurt you that we were just playing and they'd believe me and everything would be fine and you'd be dead. Everything would be fine. So, yeah. And this goes on to his part where he basically continues to say he could kill Ender and then he tells his sister oh, I could kill you too and say it was an accident and she's like oh yeah people believe that you know like <laughs> both of us got killed by accident and uh, the only way she's able to kind of like stop him off is by saying I know that you want to be a politician someday and if if this happened you wouldn't be able to do that if Valentine knows how to handle Peter she knows that uh, he probably <laughs> Like, I don't I don't know just how far Peter is willing to go, but she knows that uh, it's it's better to convince him that it's not to his advantage to uh, to do anything. Right. That, that it would uh, be an inconvenience to him or it would it would negatively affect him to uh, to go through with it, that he wouldn't just get away with it. Peter is kind of represents Ender's ruthless side. And Valentine represents his tactical thinking of all the possibilities side. Mm, didn't see it like that before. Yeah, that's good insight. Nice. Yeah. That's why people come show. to our come to the podcast. <laughs> to hear Harold's profound realizations. <laughs> <laughs> or just his soothing sounds. Oh yeah. And then they'll listen to Andy and Josh have their minds fucking blown. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Damn. So he, yeah, he ends up going through like, I mean, it's a whole page of him explaining how he's going to kill them someday and it'll look like an accident and he'll cry and cry and everybody will believe him. I mean, he goes on and on for a while. Valentine can't protect him forever. Yeah. Even on the second page, the next page over, I'm going to kill you and chop you into little pieces and put you in the garbage hole. Like, geez, dude, relax. <laughs> They sum it up very nicely. Peter was a murderer at heart, and nobody knew it but Valentine and Ender. That sums it up. Ender Ender shows him the blood on his shoe and is like, yeah, don't be thinking that you're just going to be able to take me out with no no worries, you know. But Peter kind of blows it off. 
He shows the uh, the blood that he got from uh, kicking Stilson in the face. Mm-hmm. Says, "See that? See that blood? That's not my blood. I beat somebody up earlier." But Peter says, "Oh, that's probably Ender squashed a caterpillar, and now he's gonna squish me." But later on, uh, after they've gone to bed, Peter is like tossing and turning in bed, and Ender can hear him. And he gets up. Peter gets up and goes to the bathroom. And then when he comes back, Ender's laying there and he's like, oh, man, he's going to smother me with a pillow or something like that. And Peter actually says, Ender, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know how it feels. I'm sorry. I'm your brother. I love you. So after everything, he did have some sympathy for Ender getting his monitor taken away for a moment there. He actually had some humanity. (laughs) Either. Either that or he's just fucking with Ender or just completely uh, unstable, completely, uh, what's the, not manic manic depressive or uh, bipolar. Bipolar, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah. So uh, in the next, uh, with the next chapter, we get introduced to a guy named Graf, and he's one of the two people who are having the conversations at the beginning of each chapter. And Graf is... Basically, the person who really believes that Ender is someone important, that Ender is going to be a great military leader. He's Morpheus. (laughs) He's Morpheus in the story. (laughs) Yeah. And he's talking about how it's going to be really hard to get Ender away from his sister because they care about each other. And to leave, to go to get the training he's going to need, he's going to be gone for his entire childhood and he's not going to be able to come back and visit and see his family so it's basically like to be taken away to do this is almost as if you've just cut that person out of your life now so they discuss how they're going to be able to do this to this kid how are they going to get him to come with them yep so they discuss how will you do that i'll lie to him and if that doesn't work then I'll tell the truth. We're allowed to do that in emergencies. Can't plan for everything, you know. So, the government runs on lies? <laughs> Weird. Strange how that seems. Hmm. Seems like this government is the type of government that would uh, not allow people to live their lives the way they wish to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, making them only have two children. Yep. Which is weird because he's a Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that it's intentional. I think that Orson Scott Card is trying to say, like, this government, this version of a government is a bad. Oh, yeah. The oppressive government would limit a uh, a Mormon to two children. Yeah, yeah. It's an oppressive government. I mean, even like he talks about uh, in this chapter how, oh, his family used to be religious, but they had to give up their religion to be compliant, you know? Yeah, this is that is the kind of mindset that uh, that these these family values type folks might have. Right, right. It, it, again, have. <laughs> within this story, the poor religious people are the ones who are persecuted against. <laughs> <laughs> so... He had that fight, and as they're sitting there eating breakfast all around the table, uh, someone comes up to the door. The table beeps, and they're able to to see him in the video on the door on the table, which is cool. And this guy was wearing the only military outfit that matters, and it's the IF or the International Fleet. And everybody is kind of like, "What the fuck?" Because he Ender lost his monitor. They assume that. 
it's all done. And they thought that meant that he wouldn't want him anymore. Yep. So his dad goes to the door and Peter's like, ha ha, you're going to get in trouble for beating that kid up. You're going to go to the belt, <laughs> which is like prison, I'm guessing. His exact words were, you're in deep poo. You're a third turd. You've got no <laughs> rights. <laughs> So could be an anal <laughs> exam. Right, right. <laughs> like well, his sis, the sister comes downstairs and says, Where's mom and dad? I'm too sick to go to school. And Peter says, Oh, another oral exam, huh? She says, Shut up. And he goes, You should relax and enjoy it. It could be worse. I don't know how. It could be an anal exam. <laughs> like, what the fuck? So they're <laughs> Peter, all talking you're to fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, you're fucked up, Peter. So they're out talking to the international fleet guy, and then they uh, they ask Ender to come out there, and they basically this guy uh, had let them know that the Stilson boy was in the hospital, and they explain, you know, it wasn't really fair what you did to him, and <laughs> with your shoe, Ender, with your shoe, Ender, come on. I mean, it was more like his leg and his foot. The shoe was just extra, <laughs> but. <laughs> I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. But they're all kind of thrown off. Like, why is there an international fleet guy here about this? Maybe someone from the school. And so uh, the officer asks if he, if he has an explanation for it. And Ender like is kind of like, oh, man, you know, I'm terrible. This is the worst. And the officer says that he's willing to consider extenuating circumstances, but he needs to know why, uh, because he kicked him while he was down repeatedly. And Ender says he didn't enjoy it. And he says, you know, why did you do it? And Ender says he had his gang. And the officer's like, oh, this excuses it? And Ender says no. And he asked him to tell why. And he said, knocking him down won the first fight. I wanted to win all the next ones, too, so they'd leave me alone. And that was basically the answer that they wanted, because in the battle that they are looking to fight with these buggers is we don't want to just win one battle against them. We want to make sure they know never to fucking come to Earth again. They also probably wanted to know that it wasn't any kind of sadism behind his uh, his. um yeah, actions. yeah, yeah. They wanted to make sure he wasn't a sadist too. A sadist. Yeah, <laughs> that's a reference to a Wrinkle in Time episode, which you should listen to. Sometimes we deliver in jokes that only make sense if you've listened to all of our episodes. So <laughs> go up and do that, backs. please. Yeah, they're called callbacks. We do them a lot. <laughs> they're funnier if you're familiar with the reference. <laughs> if you have listened to the Wrinkle in Time episodes and you still miss that joke, go back and listen to it again. <laughs> because you zoned out yeah <laughs> now you don't understand why saddest is funny <laughs> anyways so basically uh ender explains that you know since his monitor got taken away he knew he had to take care of himself and his dad's like you should have got a grown-up and the officer comes and puts his hand out says tells him his name is graf He's Colonel Hiram Graff, and he's the director of the battle school. And I am a grown-up. <laughs> I am a grown-up. I believe that Graff is the guy played by Harrison Ford in the movie. Yes. I, I haven't, I've only seen the movie once, so I'm definitely excited to watch it before we do our reiterated episode. Yeah, I am too. I, I, I do want to watch that again. 
It's been years. I believe that Graph is a chain of car dealerships that I used to do advertising for. And I, every time I see the name Graph in this book, I keep thinking of Hank Graph <laughs> from Graph Chevrolet. I will say that Graph Chevrolet is where uh, I purchased the Sonic and the tracks. So. Renee Dean over at Graf Chevrolet. She's great. <laughs> she, I've, I've bought multiple cars from her. I actually bought one from her, too. Yep. The, I've known. My, my homemobile. I bought my homemobile from, <laughs> from Renee. <laughs> I'm sure she had nothing to do with uh, with someone scratching hoe into it, but uh, yep, she's <laughs> the one who sold me that Impala. Yep. Yeah, so. I've known Renee since I was 18. I worked with her at Dunlop Pontiac, too. So this has been our advertisement for Renee Dean at Graf Chevrolet. Ding. Yep. <laughs> Go check her out. <laughs> Wilder Road in Bay City. Chevrolet, find new roads. When I was looking at these two cars, I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to be able to get them because they couldn't find. I wanted a red Rally Sport Sonic. And uh, I wasn't sure they'd find it. And when I was saying that to my wife, um, a guy that overheard us said, oh, if Renee wants to get you, if Renee wants to get you a car that you want, you're going to get it. And I'm, <laughs> so there's uh yeah, I've always liked her. Go check her out. Anyways. So yeah. no guarantees during this, uh, the shortage that uh, we're experiencing due to the pandemic, but oh, you'd yeah. be surprised. Maybe, <laughs> no, maybe Graf <laughs> Chevrolet will surprise you. <laughs> Watch. She doesn't even work at Graf anymore. <laughs> I mean, I don't even work for Graf anymore. Right. So, uh, so yeah, they Curl offer Graf. him. Yeah, they offer him a position on the in the battle school, which none of them expected because of the removal of the monitor. He explains that the final step in uh, Ender's testing was to see what would happen when the monitor came off. His mom gets incredulous, saying, "That's how he passed. You putting the Stilson boy in a hospital? What would you do if he had killed him? Given him a medal?" But Graf explains to him that it's not what he did; it's why. And they basically tell them, like right off the bat, like this isn't even a question for you. We you. You guys don't get to decide anything about this because we have your consent from the moment of his conception. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to have him in the first place. He he even says he has been (laughs) ours from then if he qualified. That's what you get for having too much sex. You idiots, because we're the government and you have no freedoms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, Orson Scott Card's big bugaboo about Game of Thrones was that it was it had too much sex in it, <laughs> and it's it's pretty it's rumored that uh, the Game of Thrones got back at his uh, his review by uh, um, there's a scene where Jamie Lannister and Tyrion were uh, telling a story about their their stupid cousin Orson. <laughs> And many people think that that's their uh, their revenge against uh, Orson Scott Card's unfavorable review. I think that the extreme taboo that people make about sex is what makes so many deviant sex things happen. Because people... <laughs> it's like, fuck you, you're not going to tell me what to do and how to do it. I'm just going to go to the extremes. How about no, that? Ev- I think everybody just everybody's so worried that they're weird about any kind of sexual proclivity. You know, I mean, there's certain (laughs) ones that are for sure no good. Right. Specifically children. No, that's not okay, Right. But Mm -hmm. or anything without consent or anything without consent. Correct. But there are so many 
different ways that people experience sex, you know, in consenting relationships and all that. And I think that a lot of the the taboo that we're like, oh, I don't have sex. You have sex. Oh, no, none of us have sex. Oh, no way. <laughs> uh, I think that causes more problems than it helps. <laughs> it's a weird thing in America, I think is funny. You know, you can't drive down the road without seeing titties on a billboard trying to sell you something. Right. But then at the same time, they're like, well, what about our traditional values? But, the, you know, like I don't know. Honestly, I don't think I see enough titties driving down the road. You don't see them so much anymore on billboards. But I mean, it's on, <laughs> it's in commercials. It's in every it's in everything. Everything It's just all over the place. They got so much. Everything's sex, 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 sex. But then they're like, yeah, we don't like sex. <laughs> <laughs> You want yeah. to see boobs? Get on TikTok. Lots of boobs on there. It's it's weird how much hypocrisy comes from people that are trying to hold a moral high ground. I was talking uh, about that whole uh, describing a victimless crime. I was telling you about that the other day, Andy. And an example of a victimless crime would be prostitution, right? And now we're not talking about if somebody was human trafficked or kidnapped or is being forced to do it. I'm talking about if a woman decides or a man decides that they want to charge someone to have sex with them, right? If they're consenting and the only reason they're doing it is because that's why they want to, that's how they want to make money, it's considered a victimless crime, right? The only thing that makes it criminal is someone standing on a moral high ground saying that it is so. Because clearly in other countries and in Vegas, not Vegas, they have outside of Vegas, outside Vegas, outside Vegas, they have found a way to make it legal. And in those cases, you know, there are rules to it. You might have to have a, a STD test prior to going there. They get tested. Uh, you probably no doubt have to wear a contraceptive. They're within a place where they're safe. I mean, the only reason it's criminal is because somebody decided to hold a moral high ground and say it's a crime. It, it, so, yeah, I can literally drive two hours with money and have sex if I wanted to. That's how close Reno is. It's like two hours away. So. I, dude, I can go like I think like nine or ten blocks, but you know, I don't know. I don't know quality. Chico. I don't think Chico has a lot of <laughs> a lot of sex workers, unfortunately. But I know for a fact that I could drive to Reno <laughs> and have sex mm. if I really wanted to. But I digress, and you digress. That's two <laughs> instances know, of Harold. We all digress. <laughs> I don't know how we got too here. many episodes. <laughs> We've already got had two segments of Harold getting Harold started. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Well, we got here because our is, parents had sex. Yep. <laughs> Just I like got, Ender's parents had sex. <laughs> Three times. I got started earlier in the episode, and the problem is, is I'm. it's kind of like, you know, once I'm started, that's why you don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've kind of we've circled back around on this, uh, this morality tale. But, here's, yeah. but, but I mean, it's a topic within this book. This, this guy goes on and on in his own little backhanded ways of, of pushing ideas. Right, which I didn't see until we started talking about this. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't see this as sort of a 
<laughs> a dystopian future for Mormons until we put it into that context because I didn't look into the whole uh, Orson Scott Card's uh, self-righteousness with his uh with his morality and whatnot. Yep. So now this is starting to put this kind of shit into context. Right. Now they do explain or Graf explains that Ender's not going to just be cannon fodder. He's not gonna go be a frontline soldier that runs in to the bullets. He is going to become an officer if he passes the school. Uh, one of the people deciding what happens to the cannon fodder. And he basically says that anybody who passes the battle school gets into command of something, whether that's, you know, a huge distinguished ship that will fight in a major battle or a domestic defense ship that just surrounds Earth to defend it. And there's honor in all of them, whether it be, you know, I guess it'd kind of be like the Army Reserve versus the Army or National Guard or something. He's saying there's there's honor in both of them. It's not like if he doesn't go on to be the best commander in the world, he's going to be a piece of shit, which is which is (laughs) a true statement. (laughs) This is is apparently a pretty prestigious school. Yeah. Where none of our boys who makes it through the first year has ever failed to receive a commission as an officer. So if you make it, you have made it. So then he, he asked to have a private conversation with Ender and his dad's like, no. And he's like, well, you know, I'm not going to take him without you talking to him again you're going to be able to say goodbye to him and all that so they leave and and this is at this point this is where ender goes on like kind of a manipulation run and i think this was the lie part where he basically is saying he tells him he won't be back till he's 12 or 16 depending he might not even be able to come back at 12 um and he tells him that you know his sister will be a woman by that time is in his family be got or older and he basically says like you know well you know you'll miss your parents at first but you won't miss them for long and you know it and they aren't gonna miss you either because realistically you being here is kind of a problem for them it outcasts them because you're a third mm-hmm. you know they love you but yeah you cost them a lot oh and that's why we got to where we were because yeah here we get their backstory yep he goes <laughs> into the fact that they were religious but they gave up their religion to be compliant families to be a compliant family and then they were allowed to have a third child unbeknownst to them apparently they make good stock or something and they they tried peter the if tried peter peter was a psycho they tried valentine she was way too empathetic and then they got ender and they're hoping that he is going to be a a mix of the two oh and even here this is where uh you know, finding out that he was a Mormon or he's a Mormon or since Scott Card really makes it sense when he lays on thick that your mother won't even admit that she was born in Utah because she's so, so repressed. <laughs> <laughs> They're ashamed of having come from non-compliant families. They can oh. see it. Your dad was a Catholic, and he baptized you, but you didn't know it because you were babies. Your mom didn't want you to be baptized Catholic. She wanted you to be Mormons and have lots of wives. Yeah. It's like that self-martyrdom that Christians put themselves through, seeing it's themselves what persecuted. I'm, what I'm literally talking about. <laughs> because the non-Christians want to say, hey, we're valid people, too. 
<laughs> hey, man, that's nice that you have that. But, you know, I mean, I, I just don't think that we should have religion in public schools because my kids go there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I have a freedom from religion. You right. understand? <laughs> I have a my right kid, to. Yeah. Yeah, to live without religion if I want to. Oh, how could you say that? We're so persecuted. Oh, God, take him in now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, that's the one I don't get about the schools and everything. It's like, well, my, my kids go to the public school that I pay taxes for, too. So I really don't think we should be teaching religion there. And they're not teaching them not to be religious, see? Because on the weekend or whenever you want, you can take your child <laughs> to church where they can learn about it. But at school, they just learn facts. No one ever says at school, never once in all the time I went to school, has anyone said to me, by the way, uh, according to school fact, there is no God. No, I never said once. Never said once. So, anyhow. <laughs> what? Yeah. They can't teach it at school? Oh. <laughs> no, you can choose to go to church. <laughs> so, anyhow. We're still feeling these, these fucking effects from the goddamn Cold War. 37 years, bro. 37 <laughs> years I've been putting up with that. Yeah, all this <laughs> in God we trust and... Um, that wasn't uh, added the, to the, the 50s. Kind of rel- yeah, yeah religification. Yeah. yeah. Because because we were at at Cold War with Russia and they were godless communists. So uh-huh. we're gonna go the, we're gonna go the other way and become godful capitalists. Yep. And <laughs> these people are still hanging on to that stranglehold. Well, it was beat into their heads, okay? And then they beat it into their kids' heads. And then it wasn't until... No, even in our age group... There are still a They're ton still trying of people. to beat it yeah. into our heads, yeah. Yeah. With yeah, each further they, generation, we're getting a little further from that. Right. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> but man, it Which was, I recognize is an ironic thing to say. Right. <laughs> it's a turn of but phrase. Yeah. Yes. yes. So uh yeah, basically they they say, you know, your brother wasn't gonna work and these these instruments allowed us to know things that you wouldn't believe you know we we heard everything you heard and we understood things that you didn't understand so basically he he's manipulating him to believe that you know your family doesn't actually love you they want you to go they'll pretend like they don't want you to go um but in the end uh ender does decide that he will go oh and even here uh (laughs) Uh, he says he's talking about all the boys there, the boys, the boys. And he says all boy. Ender says all boys. And he goes a few girls. They don't often pass the tests to get in. Too many centuries of evolution are working against them. <laughs> None of them Thank will be like God. Valentine anyway, but there will be brothers there, Ender. And it's funny. I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to get at by bringing up evolution. <laughs> you know, like, is he trying to suggest, like, look at that. Evolution suggests that women are incapable of anything. They are handicapped by the natural fact that men are better than women yep it's just the way it is <laughs> it's well, science it's, it's funny to me because he's almost like trying to throw shade at evolution like see uh, your evolution doesn't hold up if it makes women weaker but aren't they also in the belief that women are lesser like so it, that first off, the statement that too many centuries of evolution works against women being able to do things 
isn't true. Okay. I hear their periods attract bears. <laughs> space bears. Sleuths of space bears. Sleuths of space bears. You hear that? Space bears. Now you're putting the entire earth at risk. So... <laughs> But yeah, they they uh, confirm here that the reason Peter wasn't accepted was for the same reasons that Ender hates him. And he and Ender's like, I don't hate him. He's, you know, he's afraid of him, but doesn't hate him necessarily. And uh, yeah, they found Valentine to be too mild. And with Ender, he is he's the perfect mix. So uh, he, they tell him there's worse things than being a third, uh, worse things than a big brother that can make can't make up his mind whether to be human or a jackal. And he says that battle school is one of those worst things. So at least he's being up front. They're giving him the option to volunteer. They don't want to force him. They need him to volunteer. Mm -hmm. Even if they manipulate him into believing that he is the one that made the choice. But they also let him know right off the get here that it's fucking terrible. You know, it's not going to be fun. And uh, they, they go a little bit more into Mazer Rackham here and talk about how he was the one who was able to pull together a crew uh, or a, a bunch of ships, a fleet of ships and actually drive the buggers back. But it was not the strength of what he had. It was his tactics and his mind for war that made him great because he really didn't have much. He had a bunch of rickety ships it, you know, humanity was at the early stages of space fighting, I guess. The Space Force had just been created. <clears throat> space Force. <laughs> uh, I wonder where where that's at. It's still a real branch of the military, I believe. I wonder if uh, starfighters are in development. I mean, the Air Force has been working on stuff like that for years, so... Spacecraft they kind of already, yes, for combat. Uh, yeah, specifically. I guess the Navy gave up on their railgun this week. Really? They, I mean, it hadn't really worked very well yet. Well, that's why they gave up on it. <laughs> right? <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, cut your losses and... <laughs> <laughs> give up so so you can there is okay so joining the space force you have to go to airforce.com first okay there is a spaceforce.mil <laughs> okay um but if you look up the united states space force the wikipedia page has images from the television show space force it's called steve carell <laughs> <laughs> stuff <laughs> Oh, excellent. I mean, I do people join it? I mean, you would need to go to the uh, United States Space Force uh, wiki. It looks like, yeah, that's right. They use the Star Trek symbol pretty much. They use a, a yeah. symbol very similar to the, the Federation uh, logo. Coronavirus disease 2019 information. Like, they don't even have 2021 what? military careers in Space Force. <laughs> Connect and apply now. The sky is not the limit. <laughs> Your purpose on this planet. Wow, they are really serious, aren't they? It's weird, though, because it says all kinds of stuff about space, but it looks like a bunch of people doing stuff on Earth. 
What is the well, mission the, of the Space Force? I'm sorry that we're off on this tangent, but I want to see. <laughs> the mission of... Oh, okay, okay. So the Space Force, here's what it says. The mission of the United States Air Force is to fly, fight, and win air power anytime, anywhere. Whether full-time, part-time, in or out of uniform, everyone who serves plays a critical role in helping us achieve the mission success. It doesn't say the Space Force. In fact, it... It continues to go on and on about the Air Force. So I don't know that the Space Force is anything but an extra thing added on to the Air Force. In fact, it sure seems like that's what it is. I mean, that's kind of how the Air Force started. They were just a part. I believe they were part of the Navy. Army. That's why the Navy still has like jets, jet fighters and things like that. I, I think that the Air Force started with the Army. I'm not sure. Because the Marines came from the Navy. Uh, Gaining its independence from the United States Army in 1947, the United States Air Force began development of military space and ballistic missile programs. Nice. Yup. Then in 1954, the Air Force created its first space organization, the Western Development Division, under the leadership of General Bernard Shriver. So the Air Force has been doing space stuff since 1954. That's what I'm saying. The The Air Force has been doing space stuff for a long time and i think it's funny that it like it doesn't look like the space force is actually its own thing it's just a branch of the air force maybe until recently they (laughs) it's almost like it's almost like they simply had to convince people that wouldn't look at it too hard that it was real and not just another branch of the air force space force aside (laughs) yep we're back with the the if and Colonel Graff. And he's convincing Ender to come with him. And he essentially has. He did. He, he does convince him that they need to go. And uh, Ender agrees. And at first, he's kind of like, you know, he says, I'm afraid, of, uh, but I'll go with you. And Graff says, tell me again. And he says, it's what I was born for. If I don't go, why am I alive? And Graff's like, nope, that's not the answer I want. And he says, I don't want to go, but I will. And that's the one that Graff wanted. And uh, he tells him he can change his mind up until the time when he gets in the car with him. But after that, he's belongs to the international fleet. So they tell they tell his family. Peter shakes his hand, calls him a pinheaded fart eater. And uh, <laughs> Valentine kisses him and leaves a tear. A on lucky his cheek. little pinheaded fart eater. Yep. A lucky one. And he doesn't have to take anything with him because they provide everything he's going to need. And then as he he's about to leave and Peter says, kill some buggers for me. Mom said, I, I love you, Andrew. It's not his name. His name's Ender. Then <laughs> Father said, we'll write to you. But then as he got into the car and waited silently in the corridor, he heard Valentine's anguish cry. Come back to me. I love you forever. And that's Ender's game, guys. That's the end. No. That's, that's Ender's it. game. <laughs> Yep, we did it. In the next episode, we're going to move on to the next book. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and yeah, so that uh, that kind of establishes the book, gets it going to its uh, to its launch, <laughs> kind of like we did with Wrinkle in Time, where we we got to the uh, the whole blasting off part of the of the story. We set up the the voyage, and and we took off from there, and that's. That's what's going to happen when we when we move on to chapter four. I think it really establishes the character of Ender from his the point of view of what his family and life was prior to leaving on this journey. So it kind of gives us a good idea of how, the experiences he will use 
in the beginning of trying to figure things out after he leaves. Right, so we are going to uh, call that an episode for this far into the book, and um, we'll pick it up uh, next week. I think it's great that when we first talked about it, we were like, yeah, I think we should go to chapter seven or eight, but man, we like to explore (laughs) tangents. Yeah, our last episode was pretty supersized, but we managed to to get a whole book into that with all the the tangents. Uh, If we try to get the entire book into one episode, that that would put us probably at like a six-hour episode, and I don't think any of us have that in us at this point. Oh, easily just yeah, just reading (laughs) the book is like six hours or can be like six hours so yeah it was like a full saturday for me one time one one saturday so yep yeah i don't go on marathon reading sessions though i i like maybe do two chapters in a sitting and the chapters do get kind of progressively longer in this book as we go on yeah yeah they do have long chapters yeah but i don't get the opportunity to uh well, I, I either don't give myself the opportunity or I don't uh, have the opportunity to go on long reading sessions. So it takes me a little bit longer to get through um, books such as these. But um, we do have at least the next bit of the book covered. So we'll be able to, to get you a, a fresh episode next week. We'll mo- we promise that we'll move a little bit faster, cover a little bit more ground, especially now that we've established... Uh, the world that Ender lives in. We've established that Orson Scott Card is a religious douchebag. And we've established that we <laughs> right. shouldn't get Harold started. And we've established that we shouldn't get Harold started. Have we so really long- <laughs> explored like how Orson Scott Card's religion is uh, part of how he's talking about the world that we're reading about here? I think we're um, giving it as much due yeah. diligence as we gave to the fact that Charles Wallace was not Charles Wallace, or he was Charles Wallace, but not at the Are you time. Sure? Or it. You know what? Krang. It was all Krang. <laughs> it was all Krang. All I know is that both Ender and Charles Wallace could be handled easily with a sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> but you only get one chance to attack Ender, Wigan. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're going to pay. Okay, maybe a front kick on Ender. <laughs> cool. All, All right. right. Yeah. I am excited to talk about this again next week. I th- This is where the book really starts getting good from here on out. Yeah, it uh, definitely picks up the pace. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. It's got some cool sci-fi-ness to it. It's got some cool characters. Mm-hmm. More, uh, more precocious young children. Who are some of the the most brilliant thinkers? But they don't particularly sound like it. No. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into I that. I mean, they're they're both. Yeah, we'll get into it. But they both talk way above their age and kind of aren't. Some of them aren't all the all that bright. But yeah. Anyways, there's a dialect we'll get to that seems to be pervasive all through the different cultures, and it's almost like a human dialect. I would call it uh, because no matter what mother language they have they will degrade into this this type of speaking at certain points anyhow that's interesting <laughs> so yeah a little bit a bit of an amuse-bouche of what we'll uh cover in the next episode so nothing in the mailbox this week 
Obviously, listeners, feel free to to send us messages. Let us know how we're doing. Give us some reviews. We dig that kind of stuff. Another shout out to to Matt and Mark from the Matty Ice and Marky Mark podcast. We're still waiting for that uh, response on that scat battle challenge. So I'd say that's going to do it for this episode of Reliterated. Thanks for listening. This has been brought to you by the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any podcatcher app that you want to use. And we'd really appreciate your review and rating on whatever platform you use because it really helps us out. We want to grow. We want to uh, we want to reach more people because we're pretty entertaining. I I'm entertained by this. I don't know I'm about you guys. I'm extremely entertained. Yeah. Are you not entertained? So yeah, come back next week and we'll continue our discussion on Ender's Game. So until then, give a shit, read some lit. Goobly dooby doo doo, good night. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye.